Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. On, 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you, because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Hello, one and all, and welcome in to MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Bases Peterson broadcasting from the Azuni Tequila Studios out here in beautiful Las Vegas. We've got a stellar show for you today, as it is going to be Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs, who's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be talking a little bit about some of the teams that overachieved thus far. We're going to be talking about some of the teams that have surprised at this point, so we're going to be getting into that. In the final segment, I'm going to give you a side and total on every game on the Vegas betting board, and we're going to do so in a little something I like to call touch a ball. We do have a big announcement, though. This podcast finally up on iTunes. Thank goodness gracious. It took a little bit too long for us to get verified. But with that said, it is finally verified and it is so very awesome. And hey, we actually got some Twitter questions. So let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. So you have questions and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. I had one person ask me if I had a website on whether or not I know if a relief pitcher is available or not. The answer is I don't know of an exact site. What I do is I typically listen to some of the press conferences of managers to try to gauge whether or not a pitcher will be available because you know that some of these relievers, they face one or two guys. Sometimes they're available. Sometimes if they only throw like seven or eight pitches, they are. Sometimes they're not. That can always be very tricky. But what you can do is on 
websites like Baseball Reference and everything like that. You can track exact pitch counts day by day for some of these guys, and I find that to be a very good resource as well. So that is something that I use to try to track what guys are going to be available and what guys are not going to be in the bullpen. So that is a resource that I like to use. And then we got this one from Nick Mengi. He is on Twitter at NOC Mayhem. That is the letters NOC and then the word mayhem. Greg, do you ever lay plus one and a half on the run line, which means that if there's an underdog, you're getting a run and a half. So if they lose by one, you'd be able to cover. This is one where sometimes I will take it in the case of a big underdog. Like, let's say that it's going to be the Royals against the Yankees, and the Royals are like $3. They've got out there Brad Keller against Luis Severino or something like that. That actually was a situation that happened last year, and actually it was the Royals in some spots getting plus 390. That is a spot where I might look at the run line because you're going to be getting a plus price if you think the Royals can end close, but they may not have the best chance of being able to win it outright. That is a chance where I'll take plus a run and a half. I typically do not on regular underdogs, though, because if you're getting a team that on the money line is, say, plus 140, plus 150, you would actually be laying juice if you take the run and a half. So that's a reason why I typically do not in that spot. I typically try to mitigate juice as much as possible. There are some situations where it's just completely unavoidable, but that's where I typically come down on that. So on bigger underdogs, sometimes I will take the run and a half. Other times, if it's like a team that's plus 130, I'm just going to take the money line instead if I think they're going to win outright. It's very, very rare that I would look at plus a run and a half and the team is not a significant underdog. So that's my answer on that. And then I had a couple other people asking about the Grand Salami and if I played or not. The Grand Salami is essentially the total of all games on that game slate. They do it for both the NHL and the MLB. And my answer to that is I do not just because there's so many dependent outcomes that come with the Grand Salami that you're essentially betting on 15 games on your one unit bet. And it's one of those things where I would rather bet game by game rather than having to bet a whole bunch of events. Now, there are some times where I'll be taking a whole bunch of overs on a day, a whole bunch of unders on a day, but another reason why I don't do it is because you could just have one or two games that completely throw it off. Like, let's say that there's a 15-game slate, I'm on 10 unders, but there's just one game that goes over. We saw it a couple times last year where the Mets were involved in a game where either they or their opponent hung 20 runs in a game. That could just completely throw it off because if you had the under for the day and then a lot of those games go under, but you get that one crazy harebrained total, they're right there. You just lost your bet and you're dependent on so many different games. So that's why I don't do the Grand Salami. So great questions, guys. Keep them coming in at unit underscore 81. I always love being able to answer questions like these for you guys. And now let's get into the results from yesterday that stood out to me on a day that was, dare I say, dog wild? What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. For those that took underdogs yesterday, well, they were out and they were a barking, and the biggest of which was the Detroit Tigers as they were able to take down the mighty Yankees by a count of 3-1. to one. The Yankees were able to get out to an early one to nothing lead. Jordan Zimmerman was able to do a good job of giving this team a quality start, though, as in six innings, he gave up only one run on six hits, and then it was the Tigers of all teams being able to make a late rally. A Tigers team that, let's face it, they haven't really generated a whole lot of offense so far, but... It was the first career home run with a guy by the last name of Peterson. That would be Dustin Peterson 
off of a Rollis Chapman that broke a 1-1 to -one tie that was able to give this team a win by a count of 3-1. to -one. The Tigers were leaving a lot of men on base. They had 11 hits in this game. They weren't really producing until that point. They were 3-12 of 12 with runners in scoring position, but you've got to give Mr. Peterson his due in this one as he was able to give this Peterson a nice money line win. And then for the New York Yankees, a Rollis Chapman. Ooh. It looks like he's off to a little bit of a rough start so far this year, and he didn't necessarily close out last year like a house of fire either. So he is a fireballer himself, but with that said, you got to have a couple questions there. Another dog that was really able to bark. How about the Philadelphia Phillies not just winning, but just dismantling the Washington Nationals by a count of 8-2? to two. They closed in a lot of spots right around plus 170. I think that they were a little bit higher towards the day. I know that there was a lot of 180 available on the overnight line, and the Philadelphia Phillies just led this one throughout. Max Scherzer off to a little bit of a tough start this year as he lost his first start to the New York Mets 2-0. That one really wasn't his fault. His only real blemish was giving up that home run to Robinson Cano. But in this one, he gave up two runs in five innings. Only one earned, but he got himself into quite a bit of trouble as he gave up seven hits. The Phillies were able to get a lot of men on base. He was very lucky to get out of a couple of those situations that Zach Eflin, I believe, had to step up with the bases loaded towards the middle of that game. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, they were able to get a lot of offense generated in this game as they were able to pound out 14 hits, the biggest of which a Bryce Harper home run, his third of the year in the eighth inning. Mikel Franco continues to get the job done. I would argue that he's the best number eight hitter in all of baseball. He went yard for his third of the year. And the Phillies had eight runs while leaving 10 men on base. You have to also like what Adubel Herrera had. He had three hits along with Harper had three hits and Gene Segura also had three hits. Andrew McCutcheon, oh, by the way, another one of their big offseason acquisitions had two himself. And Zach Eflin was one of the more profitable pitchers in the big leagues last year. He was able to give the team five shutout innings in his start. And then the bullpen from there, aside from Alvarez, was able to get the job done from there. So the Philadelphia Phillies were a big money line winner. And how about the Baltimore Orioles getting the job done again? The Baltimore Orioles currently lead the East, ladies and gentlemen. They are 4-1. and one. They knock off the Toronto Blue Jays by a count of 2-1. to one. This is absolutely shocking right here. With the Baltimore Orioles, they were able to get something out of Jonathan VR, who was able to give this team both a double and a triple. He's been off to a very good start this year, and I actually liked him when he was with the Brewers. Trey Boom Boom Mancini was able to get an RBI in this one. And then for the Toronto Blue Jays, a little bit of a power outage. Marcus Stroman didn't have a bad outing, but he did get hit around. He had nine hits, and some people will say he scattered those nine hits. When you give up nine hits, you don't scatter them. You clump them. If there is one redeeming quality for the Toronto Blue Jays, it's the fact that they did get a home run out of their new designated hitter and Rowdy Tellez. That is his second home run of the year, but this is a Toronto Blue Jays team that's really struggling on the offensive end. They weren't able to get to Andrew Keshner, of all people, who gave the Toronto Blue Jays six shutout innings. And then taking a look at other results, the New York Mets continue to really hit the cover off the ball. They were able to win their game against the Marlins 6-5. And I forgot about another big underdog as the Texas Rangers were able to knock off the Houston Astros by a count of 6-4. That was with Shelby Miller starting. And because it was Shelby Miller starting, the Texas Rangers closed right around $2 at a lot of spots. And Justin Verlander in this game just really did not have his best as Joey Gallo, a guy that I always claimed to be a feast or famine guy, had a two-run grounder, of all things. The guy drove in runs without hitting a home run. It is as if you need to call up the papers. And Justin Verlander in this one, he only went four innings. He gave up four runs, all of which were earned. He also gave up a dinger. And supplying that power for the Rangers was Asdrubal Cabrera, who's off to a very good year. That's his third run. 
third home run of the year. He now has seven RBI. He's been doing sensational work for this team. And Texas Rangers were able to play a little bit of small ball in this one. And you got to like what you saw out of the relief pitching from the Rangers because Shelby Miller, he did not have a good start once again. 3.2 innings, five walks. He gave up two runs. He's this guy that you still need to continue to fade, even though he didn't get the loss in this one. But the guy that's really stepping out there in the bullpen for the Texas Rangers, Sean Kelly, who currently has both wins for this team. He was able to give them some good relief pitching. And then they do have a very good closer in Jose LeClerc as well. He was able to get his second save of the season. Other notes from around the majors, the Seattle Mariners just continue to stay hot. They are now 7-1. They were able to knock off the LA Angels by a count of 2-1. In this one, it was Marcos Gonzalez that was able to really give the team a nice start. He went 8.1 innings, gave up one run. That one run was in the second inning as it was on a sacrifice ground out. So he obviously had a very good outing there. The Angels just not doing a very good job of being able to put bat to ball, though I will say Trevor Cahill had a nice outing himself. He had six strong innings. Boston Red Sox get shut out for the second straight day by the Oakland A's. This one was 1-0. Chris Sale had a good start in this one. His velocity looked a little bit better. He went six innings. He gave up only one run, but what you had to like for Oakland is the fact that Mike Fires went six shutout innings, and then from there, the combination of Trevino and Blake Tryon were able to shut the door. Tryon had to use 17 pitches in order to get that save, but he's still able to get the job done. He was able to get out of trouble in that one. The Twins were able to knock off the Royals by a count of five to four in extra innings. I've been saying it for a long time. Jose Barrios, just not the same pitcher away from home as he is at home in this start. He did go seven innings, but he wound up giving up three runs to the Kansas City Royals. Not necessarily a redeeming quality there, but that but you do know that with the Kansas City Royals, they don't necessarily have the best bullpen. And now they have Brad Boxberger out there in the bullpen. A guy that blew so many games for the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's not even funny. And he blew this one as well. And overs with the Mets continue to be very strong. They were able to have a huge first inning against Jose Urania. They were able to put up a five spot as they were able to power themselves victory by a count of 6-2-5. And in this one, it wasn't necessarily the long ball that was doing it for them as the Mets did not have a single home run. Sterling Castro was the only guy that went yard for this team. But with the New York Mets, they were just able to get a bunch of good solid hitting. They had nine total hits. It seemed like everyone was putting the bat to the ball in this one. Wilson Ramos was able to give this team two hits. He now has four RBI in the year. Brandon Nimmo was able to drive in his first run of the year, and Ahmed Rosario had two RBI as well. So that was a very good sign for the New York Mets. And in a little bit of a shocker, how about the Arizona Diamondbacks being able to hang a big number on the San Diego Padres as well as they were able to get a win, despite the fact that Zach Greinke got a little bit roughed up in the start. He won six innings, gave up three runs, but the Arizona Diamondbacks, their offense continues to ascend, and of all people, Zach Greinke had two home runs in this game and a grand total of four RBI. Yep, the only man to have a hit with runners in scoring position for the Arizona Diamondbacks was Zach Greinke. He didn't necessarily have his best stuff on this day, but his velocity looked a little bit better than in the season opener. He had 10 gays. He gave up two dingers himself, but he had 10 strikeouts, giving up three runs in six innings. So got to give him a lot of credit there. And then staying out there in the NL West, the Dodgers made things very, very interesting in the ninth inning as they were barely able to squeak out a win 6-5 against the San Francisco Giants. You really have to feel for Madison Bumgarner in this one. The Giants committed two errors, and Madison Bumgarner in his six innings gave up five runs, none of which were earned. Of the six runs that were allowed by the San Francisco Giants, one of which were earned, got to really feel for them, but the 
offense that they were able to generate in the ninth inning should be a little bit of solace for the team as Gerardo Parra was able to drive in a pair of RBIs. And Madison Bumgarner actually wound up supplying the only run support that he got in the first couple innings of this game as he had a two-run homer. Cody Bellinger was also able to go deep for the Dodgers as in this one, Kenley Jansen was able to get a save. He did give up a run, but that was unearned as the guy that was really giving up in the ninth inning for the L.A. Dodgers is another one of their middle relievers in Yimi Garcia. He gave up two runs in this game, and the relief pitching of the Dodgers does have to be a little bit of concern. But in this one, they were able to get the job done. Also of note, the Brewers were able to knock off the Cincinnati Reds by a count of 4-3. to three. So that's what all happened on the ball diamond yesterday, and that's a couple of your Twitter questions answered. Going to be going through so many more of these as you continue to as you continue to fire them in. And coming up next, it is time to talk a little bit of general baseball, talk a little bit about the first week of the season, and we'll do so with Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs. That is right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MOB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in Las Vegas. Great pleasure to be joined by our next guest. I feel like Fangraphs is one of the best sources of information that you can find for the analytics and the deep dive on baseball that you need to take a look at in order to make some wagers and just look at baseball in a different light in general. And Jay Jaffe is one of the great people that helps out with that site. You can follow him on Twitter at J underscore Jaffe. That is the name J-A-Y underscore Jaffe, and he is joining me right now. And Jay, how are you doing today? Hey, thanks. I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. And we're about a week into the season so far, and thus far we've seen a couple surprises. We've seen the Seattle Mariners really do a good job of being able to get off to a good start. The Baltimore Orioles, surprisingly, are not at the bottom of the AL East. I don't think that anyone saw that coming. What has been your biggest takeaway from the first week or so of the season? Number one, balls seem to be flying out with a similar frequency to uh, the last couple of seasons, thinking of the the Dodgers hitting eight home runs on opening day. (laughs) And the capacity for weirdness is still there. I mean, you know, there's nothing automatic. We've seen the Red Sox uh, stumble to a one and four start after winning 108 games last year. We've seen the Orioles, as you said, get off to a good start. They're three and one. They just spanked the Yankees in New York. So, you know, anything can happen at this time of year. It's tough to take things too seriously. Absolutely. We see teams that they have just bad months in general. It feels like every team at some point during the MLB season, they hit what I like to call a baseball ditch where they just forget how to play baseball. And it happens everyone. Some of those happen a little bit sooner and some of those happen a little bit later. But a team that badly overachieved last year was the Oakland A's. They got to a little bit of a rough start in Japan, but they seem to have righted the ship. What were your expectations for this team coming into this year? Because I felt like there would be a little bit of a regression to the mean, but the big question for me is how much of a regression to the mean will there be? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, particularly with the uh, the Mariners deciding to go into a rebuild, the the A's look to be the strongest team uh, besides the Astros in the AL West. But uh, yeah, you know, large tendency to regress uh, to overcome there. You know, this is a team that won 97 games uh, when nobody expected them to last year. Uh, you look at their pitching and it doesn't look like it's going to be the kind, you know, the kind of staff that could support, uh, you know, another 90 plus wins. So I think they need a whole lot of things to go right again. Obviously, losing Matt Olson for a spell to a broken hammock is not one of those things that you'd figure. They've they've added uh, Kendris Morales to help to help offset his loss. I think 
it's going to take a lot for them to compete again, even in a league where it, it really only seems like there are maybe at most seven or eight teams that are contending for these five playoff spots. We've got Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. You can follow him on Twitter at J underscore Jaffe. And another team out there intrigued by is the Tampa Bay Rays. We all remember they really were the innovators of the opener last year. We saw them use it a couple days ago, and they used it to success against the Colorado Rockies. This is a squad that I think is very intriguing because what I notice is that they don't necessarily have great bats, but they have been just lights out with pitching once again this year. We know that the AL East is going to be a very tough division once again. What are your expectations for the Tampa Bay Rays? Because it feels like they've got their pitching once again firing at all cylinders. Yeah, they're one of those teams that's going to contend for a spot, I think. I mean, you know, we're talking about a team that really on a shoestring budget managed to win 90 games last year and got uh, particularly hot in the second half, 41-25 and 25 after the All-Star break, after being just two games above it in the first half. They do a lot of things differently. They use that opener a lot. Uh, they certainly like to pair salaries. They've uh, got a relatively inexperienced starting lineup with some exciting young players, some interesting guys, and uh, uh, like you said, the pitching. I mean, they've assembled a, an interesting core, uh, not just Blake Snell, last year's Cy Young winner, but they traded for, for Tyler Glasnow. Uh, of the Pirates in that Chris Archer deal and uh, signed Charlie Morton to a free agent contract. It's I, I think it's a team that, again, a lot has to go right if they're going to be, you know, contending with the heavyweights in that division. Now, the Red Sox and Yankees are spending, what, five, six times as much money? It seems like several times more money. But, you know, there's a lot of talent here. And, and if things go right, this is uh, this is certainly a team that won't be any kind of pushover. And I thought the Charlie Morton signing was a very good one for the Tampa Bay Rays. And I thought that another big one was Patrick Corbin of the Washington Nationals. We've really seen him improve his numbers year after year with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now he's out there with the Washington Nationals. And who are some other big signings in the offseason that you felt maybe went a little bit under the radar with regards to pitching? Because I feel like Patrick Corbin of the Nationals was a big one. You just mentioned Charlie Morton. And I feel like there are a few others that are going a little bit under the radar. I'm, I'm trying to think what qualifies as under the radar. We saw so many big signings the last few, the, you know, the last few weeks. Uh, so much focus on on the Machados and the and the Harpers. Uh, you, uh, Yusei Kikuchi, uh, the the Mariners Japanese signing is certainly an interesting one. I don't think it's going to do much for the Mariners in the terms of their playoff hopes, but certainly the the, the guy can pitch, and it's going to be very interesting to watch to watch his his transition. But so far, he's shown good stuff, and. I think he'll take his place among the the best uh, pitchers and you know the best of the Japanese imports uh, uh, that we've seen in a while. There's a lot of talk about the guys who aren't signed, uh, Dallas Keuchel and, and uh, Craig Kimbrell. Uh, Craig Kimbrell. You know, I, I, they're signings that I praise that so far haven't gone well. Like the Andrew Miller one for the Cardinals, but I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I can think off the top of my head of uh, one that's uh, particularly under the radar uh, uh, that seems to stand out to me. Very fair. It's Jay Jaffe joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And from the guests I've been talking about quite a bit, it seems as though the Milwaukee Brewers might be the best place for Craig Kimbrell to land if he does go somewhere in the next couple of weeks. Because with the Brewers right now, you've got Jeremy Jeffress and Corey Knabel on the injured list. Brent Suter is going to be out for a long time. Jimmy Nelson is still working his way back. But with that said, I still think that the Brewers, even if they wouldn't sign Craig Kimbrell, they do have quite a bit. What do you make out of this Brewers team so far this year? Because we saw Christian Yelich get off to a nice start with four home runs of four games this year. 
Yeah, they're a talented and resourceful team, and and you know they are down in the bullpen, having lost uh, Knable and at least for a shorter period of time, uh, Jeremy Jeffers. It's hard but when you've got a, a strong bullpen to maintain that from year to year, even if the cast of characters remains the same. I actually just wrote about this at Fangraphs in the wake of the Knable injury. But, you know they've they're resourceful, and and it'll you know it'll be uh, interesting to see whether guys like uh, they can get guys like Taylor Williams and Junior Guerra to step up and and, and fill some of that gap. I know they just picked up Josh Fields uh, via the via the waiver wire. He's a guy who's pitched for the Astros and the Dodgers in recent years and certainly can miss some bats, although he's a bit home run prone. Always seems like he's uh, maybe one tweak away from being uh, uh, a useful seventh, eighth inning guy. So, you know, if they can turn some of these some of these guys into, you know, into useful cogs, that bullpen can ride again. But on the whole, I, I like this team a lot. I, with Yelich and Lorenzo Cain and a, a full season of Mike Moustakas, Ryan Braun, uh, these guys are going to score a lot of runs. I agree with you, and they're going to be going up against the Chicago Cubs most likely for the top of that division, obviously. We can't sell the St. Louis Cardinal short either, but something I find very interesting with the with the Cubs is that they're going to have John Lester take the hill tomorrow against the Atlanta Braves, and John Lester is a guy that last year was 18-6, and six, ERA right around 3-3, but something I noticed with him was that his fielding independent was much, much higher than his actual ERA and his record would indicate. Do you think that there might be a little bit of regression for John Lester? And if so, are there a couple other guys that you might expect a little bit of regression from in a similar manner this year as well? Yeah, you know, uh, Lester was a guy who I pinpointed in midseason in, in June as somebody who was ripe for regression. And shortly after that was when he just started getting the tar whale out of him. We've, al- we've already seen that happen, but you're right. The indicators there are, are, are not encouraging. He's missing fewer bats, getting fewer ground balls. And certainly that's, that's somebody who I have my eyes on, you know, seeing some warning signs. But as to other guys to, who, who might regress, you looked at this for, for ESPN sometime in, uh, I think it was late February, early March. And, you know, some of them are, uh, are guys who stand out for for different reasons. You know, one who really stands out, obviously, is likely to regress is Mookie Betts, simply because we don't see guys string together multiple 10-win seasons unless they're named Mike Trout. So that's a guy who's going down. Scooter Jeanette, who's now injured, uh, is somebody that I pinpointed, given the gap between his... uh, uh, stat cast metrics is, uh, weighted on base average and is expected weighted on base average. Somebody who, who I think, you know, is, is just begging for a fall off. Uh, our projections, uh, independent of the stat cast numbers, didn't like him all that much either. Blake Trinan, elite season with the A's last year as their closer. Uh, very hard to repeat that kind of stuff. His uh, StatCast metrics uh, certainly point to considerable regression. Joey Wendell of the Rays, a nice player, but one that was a little bit over his head given how, how often he swings at pitches outside the zone and how rarely he walks and how much his production is driven by uh, batting average on balls in play. Those are guys that really stood out to me as likely to fall off. Absolutely. Some good information there. It's Jay Jaffe joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. He does terrific work for- he does terrific work for Fangraphs, and he's joining me right now. And a team that I'm very intrigued by this year is the New York Mets. We all knew that last year they had some great starting pitching. You had Noah Syndergaard. Actually, on Wednesday, you have taken the mound for the Mets. Jacob DeGrom, who looked absolutely sensational in the team season opener against the Washington Nationals. But all of a sudden, the Mets are starting to hit in three of their first four games. They were able to hang at least five runs in three of those games. Do you think that this resurgence with the Mets hitting is real? Because we all know that they picked up Robinson Cano and company, but it feels like some of the younger guys are starting to step up as well. Well, it looks like a much improved lineup. I mean, I think Wilson Ramos has been hot so far. It's definitely an improvement as far as that production you're going to get out of catcher. Uh, likewise, Pete Alonso, a highly touted rookie, has been just killing the ball. 
Uh, Cano, I think, will come around eventually. The numbers haven't been there yet, but, you know, I expect this is going to be a, a, a better offensive team than it was last year. I mean, obviously they, they did a lot and they spent a lot of money to try to, to try to make it so. I think they're going to be much more competitive. It's going to be a very interesting four-team race in, in that NL East. I think so as well. This NL East is one that really intrigues me personally. And do you think that there's a chance that the Nationals could actually fall to the bottom half of that division? Because I take a look at the Nationals. I really do like what I see out of Max Scherzer. I feel like Steven Strasburg is a little bit of an overrated pitcher. And I think that Patrick Corbin, a guy that has really seen his numbers get better and better and better every year, just at some point, there's not much room for him to be able to improve. I feel like he's hitting his ceiling a little bit. Well, you know, I mean, Strasburg, when when Strasburg pitches, he's an excellent pitcher. The problem is keeping him on the mound. Last year, he made just 22 starts. And, you know, it's been a while since since they got anything close to 30 out of him, going all the way back to 2014. So, you know, injuries are a problem with him. But generally, when he's on the mound, he's one of the most effective starters in the league. I think the Nationals have a ton of talent. Full seasons of Juan Soto and Victor Robles should help offset the loss of Bryce Harper. They don't have the kind of injuries they did last year, dealing with Daniel Murphy uh, and Adam Eaton being out and Ryan Zimmerman just being terrible. I think that they're in a better situation this year. I like the addition of Corbin. I would be tempted to put him in that group among those likely regressors, but I do think when you compare him to the pitchers he's replaced, and we're talking about Tanner Roark, who's been traded, Gio Gonzalez, who's uh, uh, who was traded last year, I mean, he's a much better pitcher than those guys at this stage, I think, and that would be something of an upgrade. Where I'm concerned is their bullpen. Again, I don't think they've done enough to really bolster it. I love Sean Doolittle, both as a pitcher and a, and a person. Certainly, you, you follow him on Twitter, and he's one of the most conscientious players in the game. Uh, the Trevor Rosenthal signing was, was, was a decent one. I just think that they needed to go out and get one or two other arms to bolster what it, what's been a shaky cast. It seems like every year Mike Rizzo is trying to upgrade that bullpen in midseason because he didn't have the budget to do it over the winter. It does seem that way as well. That's a very good point by you, Jay. And is there a team or two that you were taking a look at before the season, you felt like their win total was a little bit low that might have a little bit of value throughout the year? One team that I'm looking at is the San Francisco Giants because even though this team can't hit worth a lick, they do have some good pitching. Is there one or two that stand out for you? No, I mean, I, look, looking at our projections, I mean, I think there's a chance the Giants are better than than uh, we have them pegged for what 75 wins right now. I think uh, down low, you know, they're not a, they're not a lot of teams I would hang my hat on. I, I, the Blue Jays might be a team where the, where there's more talent there than, than just 75 wins if they ever get Vlad Guerrero up, if Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez uh, pitch to their capabilities. You know, some of those other youngsters come together. Lord Scurriel being one of them. If they ever get Devin Travis uh, back and healthy. Uh, I think there's there's some promise there. I think the Padres are going to be a better team than a 500 team. You know, I, I don't think there, there are too many surprises down there in the 60 to 75 win range, though. Absolutely. I agree with you there. And, Jay, I would like to close it up with this. Where can the good people find you on social media and elsewhere? Because I know that a couple of years ago you also came out with a book as well that I think that people could buy on Amazon and many other places as well. Yeah, I, I'm at uh, uh, on Twitter is uh, J A Y underscore J A F F E, uh, where I talk about all kinds of things besides baseball, including craft beer. The book that to which you refer is uh, the Cooperstown Casebook. It's a summary of more than 15 years worth of research into the Hall of Fame and my own uh, Jaws system for analyzing candidates. Uh, it's available on uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Go on IndieBound if you want to buy it from your local independent retailer. And if you go to CooperstownCasebook.com, you can find instructions for how to order a signed copy from an independent bookseller here in Brooklyn where I'll just go and, and personalize the book any way you want. That is awesome, man. 
By the way, you're speaking to a guy that hails from the middle of northeast Wisconsin, so I am a big fan of craft beer as well. So I love hearing that as Jay Jaffe has been my guest right here on MOB Overtime Betting. Now that we've got some great information from our buddies at Fangraphs, it is time to touch a ball with a side and total on every game on the betting board in baseball, and that is coming up next. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a special thanks to Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Zunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. And now it is that time of the show where I give you a side in total on every game on today's baseball betting board as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Any changes that are made to these plays are going to be made on my Twitter page, at GNNRSquared1. As always, a lot of these plays are locked in, but there are a couple that are still out there in limbo. I might be waiting on better numbers, might be waiting on a lineup change, something like that, but... I will note that on every one of these plays. And we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order as we start with 901-902 on the betting rotation. It is the Milwaukee Brewers on to Cincinnati to face the Reds as trotting out there for the home Reds is going to be Luis Castillo on the bump. Meanwhile, Freddy Peralta takes a hill for the Milwaukee Brewers. Total on this one is 8.5. Shaded to the under, minus 115 wherever you look. If you like the over, that is minus 105 and if you like the Milwaukee Brewers you're getting between even money and plus 102 and if you like the Reds you're getting between minus 110 and I'm seeing a minus 112 out there as well this is a spot where I do like the Milwaukee Brewers but I'm going to be holding off on this game because something I've noticed with sharp betters is that they absolutely love Luis Castillo I remember working at the Vegas Sets and Information Network over the summer last year, and they were just always steaming up Luis Castillo. He seemed to pitch every weekend, and every weekend, it went from the Reds being like even money to being like minus 130, and then every single time, Luis Castillo was unable to get the win. Now, I will say, in his first start of the year, Luis Castillo actually looked pretty good. He went six or seven strong innings, gave up only one run, so that was a very good performance for him. But with the Cincinnati Reds, they're just not hitting the ball very well. you got Joey Votto, Yesiel Puig, and Eugenio Suarez out there in the middle of the lineup. But guys like Diedrich, Tucker Barnhart, Peraza, guys like that, they're just not getting the job done. It's ideal hitting conditions as well. It's going to be in the mid-60s out there in Cincinnati and sunny, not seeing too much wind. And I think it lends itself to the Brewers being able to get a lot of runs. Because with the Milwaukee Brewers, they are trotting out their guy in Peralta that got dinged up in his first start against the St. Louis Cardinals, but they have a lot of offensive firepower themselves. 
Jesus Aguilar has been starting to get it going. He had an RBI against the Reds yesterday. Lorenzo Cain at the top of the lineup has been doing a good job of being able to get on base. Christian Yelich had a streak of four home runs already this season. Yasmani Grandel is an upgrade at the catcher spot. And Orlando Arcia has not gotten it going at the eighth spot, but I think that that's going to start to change as well. I just think that the Brewers have a better pitcher out there. They are obviously dinged up in the bullpen as well, so I do think that that will lend itself to a couple runs as well, so I'm going to be playing this game over, and I'm going to be playing the Brewers as a fade of Luis Castillo, waiting on better numbers, because I do think that the Brewers are going to be able to get a bit of a better plus price, and I won't be surprised if I'm able to get closer to even money on that over. 9:03, 9:04 on the banging rotation. Philadelphia is on the road faceoff against the Nationals of Washington. Aaron Superdola goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. Meanwhile, the Washington Nationals trot out there with like his five millionth team, Anibal Sanchez. Currently, I am seeing the Philadelphia Phillies as between a minus 125 and minus 130 favorite. And if you like the Washington Nationals, you're getting between plus 115 and plus 120. Total on this one is 7.5, shaded to the over at between minus 120, seeing a minus 125 out there as well. If you like the under, you're getting between even money and plus 105. I continue to question why Aaron Nola continues to be so badly undervalued. Anibal Sanchez is a decent pitcher, don't get me wrong, but there's a reason why this guy keeps bouncing around from team to team to team. He's a very average starting pitcher, and Aaron Nola, I feel like, is an ace. Last year, he was fanning guys left and right. He was third in the Cy Young voting, and that was in a Cy Young race that involved Jacob deGrom, who had an ERA south of 1-8, and Max Scherzer, who struck out 300 guys. Aaron Nola is absolutely sensational. He went out there in his first start of the year. He went six strong innings. He had eight strikeouts in those six innings. He did have five walks. Now, that is a little bit of a woe for him. But Aaron Nola, all in all, a very good pitcher. Last year, we saw with him in 212 innings, he only walked 58 guys. He had 224 strikeouts, ERA right around 3-4. And he held opponents to a sub-200 batting average. And with the Washington Nationals, they haven't really come around with their hitting yet. I do like that Trey Turner led the league in steals last year, so he's obviously a threat whenever he gets on. And Aaron Nola has actually had some success whenever he's faced off against the Nationals. And that's typically going up against Max Scherzer as well. So I think that everything leads to me leaning towards the Philadelphia Phillies here. And this is a total that I'm going to take under. I mentioned Anibal Sanchez being a very average pitcher. He's a guy I think that's going to give up like two or three runs at about six innings in this game. I think that he's going to be able to give the Washington Nationals a quality start. Obviously with the Phillies, you've got a bunch of big bats and Andrew McCutcheon, Gene Segura, Bryce Harper, Reese Hopkins, JT Riamuto. I could just go down in the list. Mikel Franco, probably the best number eight hitter out there in the big leagues. And with the Washington Nationals, I think they're going to be able to generate a run or two. You've got Juan Soto, Anthony Rendon has been doing a good job of being able to get off to a nice start. Matt Adams not hitting as of right now, and Adam Eaton does a good job at the top of the lineup, but I do think that the Philadelphia Phillies are going to be able to win this game somewhere in the neighborhood of 4-2. to I think that they're certainly going to get the job done. I am on the under in this spot, but I'm currently waiting to see if this gets up to 8 runs because the over is shaded between 120 and 125, so I'm right now waiting to see if I can get that extra half run, but I am all locked in on the Phillies at minus 125. 
905-906 on the bank rotation. It is the Arizona Diamondbacks going on the road to face off against the San Diego Padres. Joey Lucchese taking the bump for the Padres. Meanwhile, Robbie Ray goes for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are a plus 120 underdog. Seeing a plus 121 out there as well, obviously. Take the penny if you can get it. And that means the San Diego Padres between minus 130 and 131 across the board. 12 in this one and 7.5. All of it is shaded to the under. Minus 120 on the under. Even money if you like the over. And this is a spot where I do like the over. Joy Lucchese is a good pitcher, but he does lend himself to being a little bit susceptible to the long ball. He gave up a couple more home runs than you'd like to see from a pitcher at Petco Park. And Robbie Ray, oh man, he got off to a little bit of a good start last year, but he's a guy that he certainly... Lends himself to giving up a lot of runs. He got really nicked up against the Los Angeles Dodgers, which the LA Dodgers obviously are doing a very good job of being able to hit the ball. He was part of that extra inning game in which the Diamondbacks were able to win by a kind of five before, but in that game, he won five innings. He gave up three runs. Did a good job being able to get nine strikeouts, but his big bugaboo is walks. He had five walks in that game. And all in all for his career, Robbie Ray has been a big walk guy in San Diego is a team that hasn't really gotten on track with regards to their bats, but if you give them free passes, I think that that might be exactly where they're able to take advantage because you've got Manny Machado starting out the year in a little bit of a slump. Will Myers is hitting the cover off the ball, but Fernando Tatis Jr., you can tell, has a little bit of jitters going into the major leagues. Manuel Margot has not gotten the job done at the bottom of the lineup. Eric Hosmer is off to an okay start. The San Diego Padres are really waiting on his Fan Mill Reyes, last year for the team, he was able to hit 280 with 16 home runs. He really came on in the back half of the year. This year, he just has not been able to get on base in general, and I think that if you're able to give him a free pass, they're certainly going to be able to take advantage. And with the Diamondbacks themselves, they've been playing a lot of overs. In that game on Monday against the Padres, they were able to put up 10 runs in Petco. That was while facing off against Matt Stram, a guy that obviously isn't as good as Joey LaCasey, but Adam Jones has been doing a great job of being able to hit at the top of the lineup. Dean Peralta is back to his successful ways, and they're really getting some Offensive production in the five spot from Christian Walker. Going into the game on Tuesday, he was hitting above 500, two home runs, five RBIs. He's off to a very nice start. Noah Ahmad and Ketel Marte towards the bottom of the lineup also being able to produce for this team. So certainly I'm going to be playing this game over. I've already got locked in the over, and I'm going to be on the Padres in this spot because it is a fade of Robbie Ray. I'm right now trying to see if he gets down to more around minus 120 or minus 125. So in a little bit of a wait-and-see mode there, but certainly going to be on the Padres in this spot and already locked in that over. 907, 908 on the bang rotation. It is the Mets still in Miami, and it is no trick as they face off against the Marlins. It is the Marlins who are between plus 185 and plus 190 out there on the market as the underdog. If you like the New York Mets, you're laying $2.10 across the board. Total in this one is seven, shaded badly to the under. Under is minus 130. The over, if you like it, you're going to get a plus price, plus 110. And I am actually going totally Mr. Contrarian here. I am going to be taking the plus 190 here with the Miami Marlins, and I am taking this total over. Jacob deGrom has been absolutely sensational in recent years for this team. But for one, what we've seen is that the New York Mets, they're really starting to hit. Heck, you even take a look at yesterday against the Marlins. 
They were able to pound out five runs in that first inning. This is a New York Mets team that is currently giving Jacob deGrom some good run support. Aside from that first game, which they only scored two runs, the Mets have had five-plus runs in every game that they played this year. But you take a look at the other side for the Miami Marlins. I feel like one of the most underrated pitchers out there in baseball right now is Trevor Richards. Trevor Richards has won a lot of games in which he's been an underdog. I still remember he was plus $3 against the LA Dodgers last year, and he was able to get that win. He was just 4-9 last year, so the record doesn't really indicate how good of a pitcher he actually is. He had a 4-4-2 ERA, opponents at 253 off of him, and he really seemed to come around towards the second half of the season. He gives this team a whole lot of quality starts, and in his first start of the season, he only gave up one run in that start, so I really do like the way that he's able to pitch, and he's in a little bit of a pitcher-friendly ballpark in Miami, and then when you take a look at the Marlins lineup, they're getting some production out of Curtis Grant, Anderson at the top of the lineup. He's hitting in the 300s. JT Riddle already has a couple home runs. Starlin Castro is a guy that's able to rake. And then for the New York Mets, I think that they're going to be able to put up some runs as well. Pete Alonso, who we just talked about with Jay Jaffe, has been absolutely sensational for this Mets team. Through the first four games of the season, he had six RBI. Robinson Cano comes over, and he's off to a little bit of a slow start, but Wilson Ramos certainly is not. I do think Ahmed Rosario is going to start to come around with his bat as well. So I do think that we're going to see quite a few runs in this game, but I think that Jacob DeGrom is prone to a bad outing. Really hasn't had one in like a year and a half, and I think that this is a spot where the Miami Marlins are able to creep up and they're able to get them for a couple. So we're going to take the massive plus price here with the Marlins, and we're going to take this total over, and both these plays are locked in. Buckle up for safety, kids, because we're taking some plus prices. 909-910 on the betting rotation. It is the St. Louis Cardinals on the road to face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jamison Tyon going for the Pirates. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got Miles Mikolas. The total on this one is 7.5, and it is shaded badly to the under. You're seeing minus 125 on the under and all but one shot. The other one has minus 120, which means the over is between even money and plus 105. And this one is an even split across the board. Minus 105, no matter which team you like. This is a classic pick'em game right here. And this is a spot where I do look at the St. Louis Cardinals. I do like the way that Miles Michaelis was able to pitch last year. Obviously, he had a little bit of a rough outing in his first game of the year against the Milwaukee Brewers. And Jameson Dion, in his own right, is actually a very good pitcher himself. Last year, he was really able to emerge for this team. But with that said, I do think that the bats of the St. Louis Cardinals are going to be able to win out in this spot. Jamison Tyon last year was 14-10 and 10 with a 3-2 ERA, but he did allow opponents to hit 246 off of him. He does a good job of being able to limit the walks, but Paul Goldschmidt on the other side for the St. Louis Cardinals off to a tremendous start to the season. St. Louis also had the day off yesterday, so they were able to allow their bullpen to get a little bit replenished after they were used heavily in their 6-5 win over the Pirates on Monday in that 11-inning game. You've got Matt Carpenter at the top of the lineup who's off to a little bit of a slow start along with Paul DeYoung, but Marcel Ozuna is starting to come around and hit for this team. Yadier Molina is just 1-for-20 this year, and Dexter Fowler obviously has not been getting the job done, but the one guy for the Cardinals that you could take a look at and has been really doing great things for this team so far this year. Colton Wong. He's batting 500 with three home runs and six RBIs. He was able to hit a dinger in that game against the Pirates and was the 
Cardinals were able to win 6-5 a couple days ago that I was talking about a little bit earlier. And with the Pirates, there's just not a lot of bats I can get excited about. Francisco Cervelli is off to a little bit of a slow start. Corey Dickerson is not a guy that I've necessarily been high on. Sterling Barté, he doesn't do much for me. Josh Bell is batting 200. This is a Pirates team that doesn't have a whole lot of great bats in their lineup. I'm not too bullish on their bullpen either. And with the St. Louis Cardinals, I just feel like they've got much better hitting. So for that reason, I am on the Cardinals in this spot, and I'm taking the plus price with the over, and I have locked in both these plays. Game 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation. It is the Chicago Cubs going to Atlanta to face off against the Braves. Julio Tehran is on the mound for the Atlanta Braves. John Lester on the mound for the Chicago Cubs. Currently, it is the Cubs that are minus 109 to minus 110, depending on where you look. I'm seeing one minus 115 out there as well. And if you like the Braves, you're getting between even money to plus 105. Total on this game is 8.5, and it is shaded to the over. Over is between minus 120 and minus 125, which means that the under is between even money and plus 105. I am actually looking at this total under, and I've already locked in the under in this spot, and I do like the Cubs here as well. I do feel like John Lester gets a little bit of hate from the Sabermetrics guys. I know that he doesn't necessarily have the best fielding independent, but this is a guy that last year was absolutely sensational for this team. We were talking about it a little bit with Jay Jaffe, and Sometimes he is a little bit prone to being knocked around, but with the Atlanta Braves, they're off to a little bit of a slow start this year. Matt Joyce is coming and give this team a little bit of something, and Freddie Freeman's doing a great job of being able to get on base. His on-base percentage is 6-11, so he's doing a great job there. Dansby Swanson does a good job towards the bottom of the lineup, but with the Chicago Cubs, you've got Javi Baez, who already has two home runs and six RBI. I do like the way that you've got Anthony Rizzo going as well. You've got Chris Bryant. Some of these guys need to get on track a little bit more, as on Monday, they were completely shut out by the Atlanta Braves. Braves. I think part of that was Sean Newcomb really needing to give the team a quality start as well. But you still have guys like Wilson Contreras and company that are doing a great job for this team. Almora Jr. at the top of the lineup as well. I just think with the Cubs, you've got too many weapons. And with the Atlanta Braves, obviously they've got some good hitting as well. But Josh Donaldson hasn't really gotten things going for this team. And Enciarte at the top of the lineup as well, not doing the best job of getting on base. And I think we're seeing some regression from Nick Marcakis as well, which means it puts a lot of pressure on Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr. to be able to produce for this team. I will say the Cubs' bullpen has been badly banged up, but with John Lester, I think he's going to be able to give this team a quality six to seven innings. I think he's going to be able to go deep in this game. And Julio Tehran got a little bit roughed up in his first start. I think he'll be a little bit better in this spot. So I see the Cubs being able to win more or less a four to three style game. So for that reason, I am going to back the Chicago Cubs and I am on this game under, and both these plays have been locked in. 9-13, 9-14 on the betting rotation. The San Francisco Giants are on the road to face off against the LA Dodgers. Ross Stripling going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, you've got Derek Holland on the bump for the San Francisco Giants. If you like the LA Dodgers, well, you're going to be laying a hefty price. It is minus 215, and I'm seeing some minus 210 out there as well for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, if you like the Giants, you're getting between plus 185 and plus 190. Total on this one is 7.5, and and it's pretty standard across the board that the over is minus 120, and the under is even money. This is one in which I'm going to wind up looking at the Giants once again. I do like being able to take plus price was with the San Francisco Giants because we talked about it with Sean Estes a couple days ago. The Giants really don't have a whole lot of offense, but with that said, their bullpen is very good. You've got guys like Tony Watson. They're able to give this team a solid ending, and with Derek Holland, he actually had a decent end of the year last year. He didn't necessarily have the best first start 
to the year this year. He has a 675 ERA and a 1.5 entering this game, but I think that Ross Stripling is due for a little bit of regression, and I think the San Francisco Giants are going to be able to get enough offense to get by in this one. They haven't scored more than four runs in a game so far this year, and this is entering Tuesday night. This is being pre-recorded before their final against the LA Dodgers. Evan Longoria does a decent job at the middle lineup, Brandon Belt, though he hasn't really gotten going so far this year, has some power. you got to think that Buster Posey is going to be able to get on track as well. And with the San Francisco Giants, they seem to actually play really well whenever they're a massive underdog against the LA Dodgers, especially on the road. I don't know why that is, but I've just noticed that the past couple years, and it also does help that Joe Panic is starting to hit for this team a little bit as well along with Solarte. So, I do like the Giants in this spot, and I think the Dodgers are going to be able to get a couple runs as well. Kike Hernandez seems to be cooling off a little bit. Justin Turner, off to a decent start, but Corey Seager has gotten off to a little bit of a rocky start along with David Freeze. Cody Bellinger is ripping the cover off the ball and so is Jack Peterson after he had a rough spring training but I don't think that Austin Barnes is going to be able to keep up the just toward pace that he's had to the beginning of the year and I think the Giants are catching the Dodgers at just the right spot and we know that Dodgers Stadium towards the nighttime really plays a little bit more to the pitcher as well so I wound up blocking in the Giants at the massive plus price right now waiting on the under I'm seeing seven and a half right now trying to see if I can get more of an eight, obviously going to be no guarantees. I would certainly take the under seven and a half at even juice, trying to see if I can get a minus 110 juice on an eight if the line continues to trend that way. So those are my plays on that one as we head now to the American League as we've got 915-916 on the betting rotation. It is the Chicago White Sox going on the road faceoff against the Cleveland Indians. Corey Kaluba is going for the Cleveland Indians. Meanwhile, for the Chicago White Sox, it is the one and only Carlos Rodon. Total on this one I am seeing is seven. And the seven is pretty much minus 110 both ways. I'm seeing one minus 115 on the over, but you're able to get minus 110 both ways if you take a look at just about any line. And then with the Chicago White Sox, you're getting a big plus price. They're between plus 175 and plus 180, depending on where you look. If you like the Indians, you're going to be laying between minus 195 and minus $2. This is a spot where the Indians are probably a little bit of a better team. And you've got two really good aces going in a game that's probably going to be playing like the lower 50s. So it's going to lend itself to the ball not traveling as much. What we notice with progressive field is that during the summertime, the ball really travels. And then when you get down to the spring and the fall months, the ball really does not. So I think that that's going to lend itself to some to a little bit of a lower scoring game. So I wound up locking in the under. I was able to get minus 105 juice a little bit earlier in the day. So I was very happy about that. Corey Kluber, obviously a very good pitcher. He took the loss in his first start of the year against the Minnesota Twins, but he still did a very good job of being able to give up only two runs and seven innings of work. We all know that he's one of the best pitchers in the big leagues in regards to not walking guys. He's continued to do that. I still remember last year there was like a four or five start streak in which he did not give up a walk. But Carlos Rodon, a guy that's really coming on for the Chicago White Sox, he's not much of a swing and miss guy. In 120 and two-thirds innings last year, he had only 90 strikeouts and he gave up 55 walks, but you could tell that he was really coming on towards the back half of the year. Opponents only hit 220 off of him. So he does a very good job of not giving up hard contact which I really like. He also does have a little bit of a tendency to hit guys as he hit 12 batsmen last year. But what I do like about Carlos Rodon is that he does a great job of being able to keep the ball in the ballpark. And with the Chicago White Sox, you do have some mashers on that lineup. Yuan Mokata is off to a good start. He's hitting right around 400. Jose Abreu already has two home runs and 
quite a few RBIs, so I like what he's doing there. I do think that Daniel Polka needs to get online a little bit more. He's off to a little bit of a rough start to the season, and so is Eloy Jimenez. But when you get those guys going, it's really going to lend itself to the Chicago White Sox having a pretty dangerous lineup. Meanwhile, for the Cleveland Indians, they're still a little bit banged up. They're going to be without Francisco Lindor in this game. That is obviously going to be a huge break for the Chicago White Sox. You also take a look at Bradley Zimmer being out for this team, and Jason Kipnis also on the 10-day injury list. That means that the Indians are relying on guys like Hanley Ramirez and company to be able to step up and give this team some good hits. Jose Ramirez was able to have two hits in the game on Monday, but all in all, he hasn't been doing a great job. Leonis Martin not doing a good job of being able to set the table. As the only guy that's really been doing a great job of hitting consistently for the team so far this year has been Carlos Santana, who's above 400, but they just need a little bit more in general from this offense, and I think that this is a good spot to take the White Sox at a massive plus price. So for that reason, I am on this game under. I already locked that one in, and I took a massive plus price here with the Chicago White Sox. That is also locked in. All right, now it is time to have a rant on this show as it is 9-17-9-18 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins go on the road to face off against the Kansas City Royals. The Twins trot out their Kyle Gibson on the mound. Meanwhile, for the Kansas City Royals, making his debut with the team, Homer Bailey. Yeah, get ready for an explosion as I read off these prices. Currently, the total is 8.5. With the over between minus 120 and minus 125 juice, that means if you like the under, you're getting between even money and plus 105. And the Kansas City Royals, for some reason, are not getting about $5. Instead, they are between plus 128 and plus 130. If you like the Minnesota Twins, you're getting between minus 138 and the max I'm seeing is minus 145. This is one where you just have to take the run line on the Minnesota Twins because there's one reason. Homer Bailey is on the mound for the Kansas City Royals. If you like the Twins run line like I do, you can currently get them at between plus 120 and plus 125. I already locked in the Twins run line here because let's take a look at Homer Bailey last year. Homer Bailey, when he started for the Cincinnati Reds and he had a total of 20 starts, the team was 1-19 and in his 20 starts, and he's making $23 million to start once every five days in a spot in which he loses every single time. His ERA was above six last year. This is the biggest waste of money out there in baseball, and it startles me that he has a job out there in Major League Baseball. This guy is so beyond atrocious that it's not even funny. I don't even care about who's trotting out there for the Minnesota Twins. You could have me, you could have Jay Jaffe, and you could have the production staff of the Vegas Stats and Information Network out there batting against them. And I still think we would generate five runs. It's so bad. Homer Bailey is the worst pitcher out there in the big leagues, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. This is one where you just have to take the plus price and you have to take the over. The best thing I could advise you to do because I was able to get some pretty favorable juice on the over is to try to wait for nine and try to get something like minus 105. Maybe you get lucky with plus juice. And even if it's minus 110, I would advise a play there. I always am a big fan of mitigating juice, but man, I mean, for Homer Bailey to only be getting plus 130 is absolutely startling to me. This is so sad. And Kyle Gibson, not necessarily a great starting pitcher, but last year he was much better than his 10-13 and record indicated. He had only 179 strikeouts in nearly 197 innings, but his 10-13 and record did not sell the story as 
He had a 3.62 ERA. He really lended himself to contact, but he did a good job of being able to get out of quite a few jams. He was able to limit the home runs that he was able to allow as well, which I like. Nelson Cruz seems to be getting on track for this team. He's hitting above 300 right now. ERA has a home run. And the center fielder for the Minnesota Twins in Byron Buxtrand has been doing a good job. He's batting right around 400 himself, so I like that. And then with the Kansas City Royals, I do think that they're going to be able to put up a couple runs. Alex Gordon has gotten off to a little bit of a rocky start for this team, but Jorge Soler is batting over 500. He's been driving in some runs. I like what I'm seeing out of him, and Whit Merrifield does a good job of being able to set the table, but man, if you're betting on Homer Bailey, God bless you. You need all the luck that you can get. So for that reason, we are on the run line of the Minnesota Twins, and we are going to be playing this game over. Hopefully you enjoyed me blowing a head gasket. 9-19-9-20 on the banging rotation. It is the Detroit Tigers in New York to face off against the Yankees. For the Tigers, they have going out there to the mound, Matthew Boyd. And for the New York Yankees, it is Jonathan Luizaga. Luizaga is a guy that struggled a little bit last year for the New York Yankees. He's a guy with some very good stuff, and he's got a lot of upside. The question is, when is he going to be able to put it together? Because last year with the team, he was able to go 2-0. He actually had four starts for the team, but the problem was... His ERA was 5.11. He gave up three dingers in 24 innings, so he did an okay job, I guess you could say, of being able to limit that, but he gives up quite a few walks. Last year in his appearances, he gave up 4.4 walks per nine innings. He does a very good job of being able to get strikeouts, but he's a little bit too much of an all-or-nothing pitcher. Meanwhile, Matthew Boyd, he's not anything special for the Detroit Tigers, but I would consider him to be a suitable starter. Last year, towards the back half of the year, he really had his stuff betray him, but towards the middle of the year, when the Tigers were actually doing a good job of being able to get some wins, he was a decent pitcher. He got a loss in his first start of the year, but he was able to get 10 strikeouts in five innings against the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, granted, that is the Toronto Blue Jays, but this is a guy that in Matthew Boyd does a good job of being able to keep the ball inside the ballpark, and he does a good job of being able to limit contact. Opponents hit 228 off of him last year as he went 5-13 and with a 439 ERA in 2018. So I actually do like what I've seen out of Matthew Boyd. This is just too big of a price to be laying with the New York Yankees in the spot as right now if you like the New York Yankees, you are laying between minus 185 and minus 190. And if you like the Detroit Tigers, you're going to be getting a plus price of between 167 and 175. Total on this game has really ticked up. It opened up at 8.5. I'm now seeing between 9 and 9.5 in most spots. If you like that 9, the over is minus 120. The under is even money. If you like the 9.5, the over is minus 115, and the under is minus 105. I actually do think that Luiza guy is going to have a decent performance against a Detroit Tigers team that, let's face it, they've really been struggling at the dish. Miguel Cabrera is still trying to find his sea legs. you got the bottom of the lineup that just isn't producing a whole lot for this team. I do like what Jose Candelario has been able to provide this team, and Nick Castellanos is a decent bat as well, but you don't know what you're going to be able to get out of Nico Goodrum and company. So for that reason, I do look at this game under. I think that Luiza guy is going to be able to give up a couple of runs, but I think that Matthew Boyd is going to be able to do a good job of being able to get some swings and misses. It just feels like, in general, the Yankees' bats are leaving a lot of men on base. We saw it in their series against the Baltimore Orioles, and we're seeing it here in the series against the Tigers as well. Aaron Judge has gotten off to a nice start, but Lucas Voigt seems to be an all-or-nothing hitter at this point. DJ LeMahieu has been doing a great job of being able to get on base himself, but we've been noticing that the Yankees are giving a lot of their guys, like John Carlos Stanton and company, a lot of rest 
Yes, they did so at least yesterday. So maybe that'll give them a little bit right. But it just feels like guys like Brad Gardner and company aren't doing quite as much as you'd expect them to at the beginning of the year. And I just still do have some questions about Gary Sanchez as well. Sometimes he's really on his game. Sometimes he's off his game. He just seems to be a really streaky hitter. So I'm going to take the massive plus price here with the Detroit Tigers, and I am going to be taking this total under. I'm trying to see how much I can get on the under because this thing opened up at 8.5. You're already getting an additional run with minus 105 juice on the under. I'm hoping that it can get to at least even money on under 9.5. 921-922 on the betting rotation. You've got the Baltimore Orioles going on the road to face off against the Toronto Blue Jays. For the Blue Jays, it is Matt Shoemaker taking the hill. And for the Baltimore Orioles, Nate Carnes. The total on this game is 8.5, shaded to the under at minus 115. If you like the over, that is minus 105, pretty much steady across the board. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, you're laying between 160 and 162. And if you want to take the plus price with the Baltimore Orioles, you're getting between plus 145 and plus 150. Last time Carnes took the mound for the Baltimore Orioles, we only saw him pitch a couple innings, and then Jacob Yacobonis wound up pitching a couple innings as well. I think that we could see a little bit of a two-pronged attack once again from the Baltimore Orioles, so I think that they're going to be diving deep into their bullpen. I really like what I saw to Matt Shoemaker in his first outing of the year. He wound up pitching seven strong scoreless innings against the Detroit Tigers. Now, I know that the Detroit Tigers are not lighting the world on fire, but this is a guy that is a solid starter. I wouldn't say that he's anything great or anything like that because he's been dealing with some injury issues the past couple years, was limited to just seven starts last year, but when he puts it all together, I feel like he could be a decent pitcher. We saw it in 2014 when he went 16-4 and with a 3.04 ERA. He just hasn't been right the past couple years, and I think that now that he is fully healthy, that he's going to be able to give this team a quality outing. With the Baltimore Orioles, though, I just have absolutely no idea what you're going to get game to game from their offense because they've been cooling down a little bit more, but they do have some very good bats out there. Trey Boom Boom Mancini has been hitting some home runs for this team. Jonathan VR doing a very good job of being able to get on base. Rui Ruiz has been a little bit of a surprise as well, so I do like what I'm seeing early on from the Baltimore Orioles, but I'm also a little bit bearish on the Blue Jays bullpen as well. I know that they've been performing well to begin the year, but Ken Giles and company just doesn't really excite me. They do have guys like Pannone that are able to come in and give this team some good middle relief, but I always have a fear that Ken Giles is going to pour lighter fluid all over the game, and with Carnes, you just don't know what you're going to get out of him. Jacob Yacobonis has not been doing a great job, and Freddie Galvis has been doing a good job for the Toronto Blue Jays, hitting over 300. He's got a home run. Justin Spoke has been able to drive in a couple runs. I do think that Brandon Jury is going to be able to get things going at the top of the lineup as well, so I think that the Blue Jays are going to be able to get into gear in this one, and I think that they're going to knock around a Blue Jays pitching staff that has been performing above its skis a little bit so far this year. I think think the Blue Jays don't just win, but I think they win by multiple runs. So I took plus 130 on the run line with the Blue Jays, waiting to see if this gets up to plus 135 or plus 140, but I'll be on it regardless. And I am on this game over, trying to see if I could get even money on that over of 8.5 as well. Still waiting a little bit on the prices on those. 9.23, 9.24 on the begging rotation. It is the Houston Astros in the state of Texas, but on the road to face off against the Rangers. Mike Miner takes a bump for the Rangers. Meanwhile, Garrett Cole goes for the Houston Astros. Astros are currently a minus 170 favorite across the board, seeing 1-175 as well. Meanwhile, if you like the Texas Rangers, you're getting between plus 155 and 160. Total on this one is 9, shaded to the under, between minus 115 and minus 120 on the under. That means that the over is between even money and plus 105. Garrett Cole got a little bit roughed up in his first outing against the 
Tampa Bay Rays, but that wasn't necessarily his fault. A lot of the runs that he gave up were unearned due to errors. I think that he's going to get a little bit more defensive support in this game. I think that he's going to be back to his old Garrett Cole self. I think that he's going to be able to get nine plus strikeouts in this game against the Texas Rangers lineup that, let's face it, they've got a couple guys that do a good job of being able to get on base. Elvis Andrews, Azurable Cabrera, and Sin Chu Chu certainly on that list, but with guys like Joey Gallo and Rudnett Odor, these are guys that they're going all or nothing. Noah Mazzara just really doesn't impress me for this team. Guzman at the first base spot, not doing a whole lot for me. And Delano DeShields Jr. is just awful at being able to get on base. The only reason why he is currently on the team is because he plays some good defense and he does absolutely nothing else for this team. I think that Garrett Cole is going to be able to get a bunch of easy outs. And with the Astros, they haven't really gotten their offense going so far this year, so I do think it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. Jose Altuve needs to round into form. Carlos Correa is starting to hit for this team along with George Springer, but Alex Bregman in a little bit of an early season slump. I actually do really like what I've seen out of White at the DH spot, but whenever they have Kemp in there, it's been a little bit of a horse apiece. And Robinson Torinos is a guy that is a little bit of a hit or miss player at the catcher spot as well. And I actually do like what I've seen with their platoon center fielder in Jake Marisnik as well. He's been hitting well for this team. And I think that the Astros are going to be able to generate enough runs to be able to win this game by multiple runs because I think they're going to get a very good outing from Garrett Cole. Right now I'm seeing a run line of the Astros at minus 110. I'm trying to see if this gets down to minus 105 or even money, but I'm going to be on it. And I already locked in the under. I was able to get a little bit more favorable juice. If you like the under, I'm sure that it'll tick down to more around minus 110 by first pitch. So under and the Astros run line. Mike plays on this game. We have 925-926 on the bang rotation. It is the Boston Red Sox on the road to face off against the Oakland A's. Nathan Eovaldi is on the mound for the Boston Red Sox. Meanwhile, for the Oakland A's, Marco Estrada. The total on this one is 8, shaded to the over. Between minus 115 and minus 120 is that shading, which means if you like the under, you're getting between minus 105 and even money. And it is the Boston Red Sox who are between minus 125 and minus 129 favorites. And if you like the Oakland A's, you're getting a plus price of between 113 and 119, depending on where you look in Vegas. And this is a spot where I think the Boston Red Sox are going to want to be able to make a statement. And I think that Nathan Eovaldi is going to be able to give the Boston Red Sox a very good outing in this one. I do think that the Boston Red Sox offense is in for a little bit of regression. They've actually been doing a very good job so far this year. Sands that opening game of the series against the Oakland A's where they were completely shellacked. J.D. Martinez already has a pair of home runs for this team. He's batting nearly 400. He entered Tuesday's matchup with seven RBI, so I really like what he's doing. Mookie Betts is still in that lineup, and you've got guys like Jackie Bradley Jr. who are able to do a good job for this team. Jackie Bradley and Mookie Betts both off to a little bit of a rough start, along with Andrew Benintendi. I think that they're going to come around, but Sandra Bogarts and Rafael Devers are doing a good job along with Mitch Moreland, so you've obviously got your weapons with the Boston Red Sox, and all in all, I do think that Eovaldi is going to do a good job in this game because he's actually done well in his career against the Oakland A's. I remember his first start of the year last year after having Tommy John surgery. I believe he had a no hitter when he left his first start against the Oakland A's. Marcus Simeon is doing a great job at the top of the lineup along with Matt Chapman. Both these guys are hitting above 300. And Chris Davis is providing some pop for this team once again. Kendry's Morales is now in the lineup, but he hasn't done a whole heck of a lot. And the bottom of the lineup for the Oakland A's, just not really getting the job done. Chad Pinder is banging below 200 right now. I am not really impressed by Canna either. Derrickson Profar has been 
batting below 200 as well. Nick Hunley doesn't do much, and Loreno out there in center field, very good defender, not so great with the bat. So I think that Nathan Eovaldi is going to be able to get right, and he's going to be able to give the Red Sox a run line win in the spot. Last I checked, the Red Sox run line was plus 130. I'm currently in wait and see mode. I'm going to try to see if I can get more around 140 on that, but regardless, I'm going to be on that run line, and I already have locked in the under of 8.5 at minus 105 juice. Really like that price as we have one more game out there on the Vegas betting board. 927-928. It is the lone interleague matchup, and it is between the Colorado Rockies and the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays, the home team, are between minus 125 and minus 128 favorites. Meanwhile, if you like the Colorado Rockies, you're getting between plus 111 and plus 118. And the total on this one is 7. I'm seeing one book with the overshaded to minus 115. That means that the under is minus 105. But across the board, I'm seeing mostly minus 110 both ways on that total. This is one in which I actually did wind up taking this total over. You do have a starting pitching matchup of Herman Marquez for the Colorado Rockies and Charlie Morton for the Tampa Bay Rays. And both these guys have been sensational since the start of last year. But I do think that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be able to get to Marquez in this spot. Marquez has shown that sometimes he is a little bit prone to the deep ball. And I actually think that the Tampa Bay Rays have been hitting a little bit better than I thought. Austin Meadows has already had a pair of home runs for this team. Kevin Kiermeyer hitting much better this year than he did last year. Yandy Diaz has also been a very nice surprise. He's hitting over 300. Last year with the Cleveland Indians, he just didn't get too many opportunities and he never was really a power guy, but he does a nice job of being able to get on base. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, they were able to get to the Colorado Rockies early against Kyle Freeland as they were able to put a three spot up on the board very early. And I do like the way that G-Man Choi has been able to hit in the middle of the lineup for the Tampa Bay Rays as well. He's been a little bit of a platoon guy, but whenever they've had him in the lineup, he's been absolutely sensational. And then they brought over Tommy Pham in the offseason from the St. Louis Cardinals. He's been batting just under 300 so far this year. He does a good job of being able to get on base. Got off to a nice start this year. And with the Colorado Rockies, you've got a couple guys that are able to give this team some runs as well. Trevor Story has really gotten off to a little bit of a rough start to the season along with Ian Desmond, but Mark Reynolds is a guy that we know can take the ball deep. Chris Iannetta towards the bottom of the lineup has been a little bit of a hit or miss hitter, but Charlie Blackman is doing a better job of hitting this year. Nolan Arenado hitting right around 300. You got to think that the power is going to be able to come around for him. And the guy that's actually really been doing a good job out there in the middle of the lineup is David Dollars. He's been hitting over 400 this year. Not really providing the team with power, but the Colorado Rockies are very capable of being able to get on base. I think they're going to be able to run Charlie Morton out early, and I do think that this turns into a little bit of a battle of the bullpens, and I do have more faith in the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen than the Colorado Rockies. So for that reason, I am on this total over. I'm currently in wait and see mode on this over, trying to see if I can get more or less minus 105 or even juice, but I already locked in the Tampa Bay Rays laying a number of right around 120 to 125. When I got it, it was minus 120. Still obviously on the raise at minus 125 to minus 130. Those are my plays on the MLB betting board for today. And a big thanks to Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs for joining me in the second segment. If you ever have any Twitter question for the podcast, feel free to send it in. At GUnit underscore 81 is the Twitter page to be able to do so. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, we are finally verified on Apple iTunes, so you can subscribe there along with Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And let's make today a successful and profitable one. I will be with you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, and I look forward to talking at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.